The following sermon podcast is a glimpse into the community of Central Bible Church, where we strive to welcome everyone into Jesus' life. We hope that you can join us for this Sunday service as we gather together seeking to live in and for Christ. transition and read our scripture for this morning. So we are continuing in Ephesians chapter 4. Today we're in verses 20 through 24. That, however, is not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life, to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to, be put on the new, and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Marissa, for doing that. Hi, everyone. Good morning. My name is Russell. I am the youth pastor here at CB. You are all a much older and more uh, less rowdy crowd than I'm used to. Um, so it's going to be strange for me not having to tell you to stay focused or be quiet, but I will adapt. Um, well, yeah, yeah, watch it. I, I, can, I can switch. Oh, now my computer is not opening with the content of my sermon. That's fun. Sorry. There we go. Okay, this is awkward. Sorry. Yeah, I'll just wing it. Whoa, give me a second, guys. Oh, caps lock. <laughs> Off to a great start. Here we go. Oh, man. All right. Woo. All right, warming up. All right. Um, I want to say to you before I begin the day, um, I'm just thankful for you. I'm thankful for this community. Uh, I don't know if you've been here a season of time, you see the things we're doing that we're kind of switching things up, sending people out, um, calling people into their gifting. Uh, there's life happening here. Um, to the Seths, I don't know you guys. Um, you guys are the real deal. Thank you. You're the real deal. Um, and what we're talking about today, what Paul has for us is um, stepping into new life. You guys are doing that. Um, and you are an example to us. You're exemplary. Thank you. Um, and Deborah, where are you? Thanks for taking a step. That is so cool. Um, Amy and I uh, we're, just, were the guilty party in pushing Deborah to you know, think larger than just, I've got to go to college, get my four-year degree. Um, but we, we've been kind of encouraging her, like, well, be open to what God will do in your life. And you're taking a step forward. So that's just so cool. Um, I'm just grateful for you guys. Uh, we've been going through a um, series together as a church through Ephesians. It's called Alive, Becoming, to, Becoming Like Jesus Together. Uh, we've kind of been going through this series through the summer, um, and it's been really life-giving. Today we get to what new life in Jesus is all about. So let's begin. For those of you who have been at Central Bible the past 2 to 10 to 30 years, you have experienced a lot of change. You've experienced challenges, 
hardships and pain. But I think, um, like we've been talking about, it seems clear that through this last year especially, that God is working in exciting ways. By God's grace, we have been moving as a community um, into emotional and spiritual health. Um, And we've by no means arrived, but we've been, I think, adopting that as a value for us um, as a community. And I think God is responding and he's working. Um, With the challenges we face, the reason I bring that up, though, is the challenges we have faced as a specific community, um, it can be easy for us to miss the larger cultural moment where we find ourselves in as a church. Um, The cultural reality we're in is this. Central Bible is part of a much larger cultural moment in in which the church in America is in decline. Months ago, Gallup released an article about the decline of the American church. It said this, barely three quarters of Americans now identify with a religion and only half claim membership in a church. The rate of U.S. church membership has declined sharply in the past two decades while being relatively stable in the previous six. These trends are not just numbers, but they play out in the reality that thousands of U.S. churches are closing each year. Religious Americans in the future will likely be faced with fewer options for places of worship and likely less convenient ones, which could accelerate the decline of membership even more. According to the article, 40% of Americans are connected to church community. And I'll be honest with what I see in our culture and what I know as a youth pastor and what I've been studying this last couple years. When I read that, 40% sounded high. And sure enough, as I looked into it, many other studies and statistics think the number is closer to 17 or 20% of Americans are connected to a church community. Um, What they all agree on is that the church in America is in decline. Um, The trends aren't reversing. So what do we do? The tide is going out. The face of Christianity is changing in our culture. What do we do in such a moment like this? Let's pray. Let's pray before we begin, before we begin to answer or ask those questions. Father, would you um, meet us here today? Paul has some uh, really beautiful but challenging words for us as a community. And as we ask these questions, as we face these realities, it is so easy to feel hopeless, to feel lost, to feel like we are just getting swept downstream. Um, but God, we, we have um, hope in you, Jesus. I pray that we would see that this morning. God, would you anoint my words today? I don't do this very often. I'm nervous. God, I want to do a good job But more than that, I just want you to speak. I want you to show up this morning um, through what Paul has has for us this morning. So we love you, Jesus. Would you be with us um, as we continue on as a church? In your name we pray. Amen. All right. So in our passage today, Paul is talking about the old self versus the new self, like Marissa read. Uh, Paul is talking about taking off the old self and through the renewing of our minds, putting on the new self. That's our focus. That's our trajectory today. So I'm just going to reread for you um, the first half of our section today, uh, verse 20 of Ephesians 4. That, however, is not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ and when you were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. 
you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off the old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires. So we start here with the old self, taking it off. Um, I'm not going to spend a ton of time on this because Danny last week did a great job of defining this. His passage he had last week and mine today are really linked. Um, But for the sake of context and giving us a definition, the old self, uh, according to Paul, is separation from the life of God. The old self is separation from the life of God. Um, I did actually put together some slides, but I did it all in the wrong format. So just imagine a really nice sleek slide with these points, and we'll, we'll be moving on. Okay. Um, I'm, I'm new at this. Sorry, guys. All right. Of the old self, of, of, the, of the life that is separated from the life of God, Paul is saying, take it off. Move on. If you have learned Christ, turn away from the life you have known that has always led you to death. As Danny talked about last week, the old self is tied to idolatry. And this passage, Paul uses, the ter- Paul uses the term deceitful desires. Deceitful desires, idolatry are linked. They are the things that we think we need in life to be okay that are not God. The things we think we need in life to be okay that are not God. When we are living day by day trying to fit the things that are not God into the God-sized hole in our hearts, we will always come out disappointed. Paul says, take it off, turn away, be different. But here's the thing, if we take off this old self, we have to put on a new self. So what is the new self he's asking us to put on? Before we dive in here, I want to give us some summary statements of the book of Ephesians so far because they're all going to give us context and connection to what Paul is saying today. Ephesians is about life with the Holy Spirit, life in community, life in Christ. In our passage today, Paul is talking about identity, your new self, right? But it's directly tied to what he's already said about the Holy Spirit, about community, and about life in Christ. So our identity is formed by the Holy Spirit, informed by community, and it resides in the new life we have in Christ. Paul is now shifting to the positive. If the old self is separation from the life of God, then the new self, by contrast, is intimate connection to the life of God. Intimate connection to the life of God. If you're asking the question, how do I take off the old self, what does that mean? You have to remember, you can't take off the old self without replacing it. Putting on the new self in Christ is how we get rid of the old. It's also how we will avoid putting on a different self that will take us to death like we were before, just a different route. Does that make sense? If you clean up your life from homelessness or addiction and you switch over to a life of high career consumerism trying to get what's mine, Is that any better in the end? Do you know Jesus? Are you walking with him from one to the other, right? That's a different life. Is it the life that leads to life, right? All right. Verse 23, I'm going to read for us. Be made new in the attitude of your minds. Put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. So how do we put on the new self? The process of the Holy Spirit renewing our minds. 
That's how we put on the new self. That's what Paul is saying today. If we remember that we are in Christ, you have a new mind in Jesus. You actually have the mind of Jesus. Paul, in a different letter, 1 Corinthians 2, 10 through 16, the Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except their own spirit within them? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. What we, what you and I have received is not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, so that we may understand what God has freely given us. The person with the Spirit makes judgments about all things, but such a person is not subject to merely human judgments. For who has known the mind of Christ, the mind of the Lord, so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Okay? You and I have access to Jesus' mind. That is what Paul is saying. The new mind in Ephesians is what Paul is saying for us to renew. Renew your old mind to the mind of Christ. When we have the mind of Christ, we have discernment, thoughts, and vision that are not explainable apart from the Holy Spirit working. Have you had a moment through your day, through your week, where you thought to yourself, maybe I should put down the phone and read. Read the word. Maybe I should close the laptop and pray. Or you see a person in the grocery store or at your work and they seem sad, they seem off. And you say, well, maybe I should ask them what's going on. But if you're like me, like many others, we brush it off. Oh, no, that's too much trouble. That's too much whatever. Uh, we act, um, excuse me, you, you brush it off and you stop, when you stop long enough to reflect on it, you lay down at bed, in bed at night or you pull into the driveway after work, you have that burning in your chest of regret. Oh, I should, have, I should have done it. I should have said something. I should have taken the step, right? That is the Holy Spirit, guys. That is the Holy Spirit pushing you in the moment to take a step of faith. And then here's, what I, here's the crazy thing. In the moment of conviction, when you're laying down in bed at night or you're pulling in the driveway, that is also the Holy Spirit talking to you. It's also, he's also saying, hey, you messed up. You didn't take the step I was asking you to take. Learn, grow, okay? So something I have learned through these past few years, I am not someone who is, um, in my faith background, comfortable with interacting with the Holy Spirit. Um, but as I have interacted with people who are stronger in this area um, of walking with Jesus than me, something I have realized is that people who are strong in discerning the Holy Spirit don't have more access to God. They are just more practiced at hearing his voice, Okay? So Paul is saying renewing the mind is a process. It takes practice. It takes time. When Paul uses the phrase of taking off and putting on the old life to new, um, his language implies an immediate effect, a change in a person's life that takes off, right? But when he talks about the renewing of the mind, it's a gradual day-by-day, week-by-week process, so how do we practice renewing the mind? I wanted to be really practical here. So I have two steps that I think will be helpful in this process. The first is remember, remind yourself each day to ask the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, open my eyes to what you're doing. Holy Spirit, I want to join in your work today. I want to join in what you're doing. 
Each day, start, that, start your day like that. Remember the truth God gives us in his word. Um, the, the word combats the constant barrage of lies and distraction you and I face each day in our culture right now. The second thing is take steps. When you pray this prayer, God, open my eyes to what you're doing. I've been doing this a lot this last year. I want to tell you, when you pray that prayer, he will answer. It's a scary prayer to pray. So when he answers, take the step. When you have an encouraging word for someone, something that affirms them or gives them life, say it. Risk it. Take the step. If you see someone hurting and you have the inclination, man, I could, maybe I could ask them to pray for them. Do it. <laughs> it's not rocket science, this application, right? Just do it. Take the step. Be willing to risk rejection for the sake of God working, right? Simply practice being more attentive. Practice being more responsive. Take risks and steps of faith when you feel that prompting. All right, now verse 24. Here we get into the new life. Put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. So the questions are, what is the new self, and what does it mean to live in righteousness and holiness? Paul gives two qualifiers here to the kind of new self and new life he's talking about. The new self is like God in righteousness and holiness. According to the commentator Harold Honer, righteousness refers to righteous actions of a new person, a quality of life. What he's saying there is, we are to be like God in our actions. We are to resemble his character in the things we do with our time in our life. Holiness, to have personal piety, devotedness, or reverence for God. In this context, because he's already used the word righteousness, holiness is referring to not moral improvement, but a passionate longing and desire for connection with God. So those are the, that's the lens through which um, Paul is talking about new life. The new self, the new life, is characterized by change, by transformation, transformation, acting different, and then holiness, changed desires, the desire for Jesus in your hearts. You have a quality of life that is different than the world around you. You have a heartfelt affection for the Father, the way we spend our time, the way we do relationships reflects this new life of righteousness and holiness. So a quick summary of where we're at so far. Paul defines new life through the lens of righteousness and holiness. And he's talking not only about a transformed mind, but a changed and transformed way of doing life. Your behavior changing. Okay? And I think this is something our community needs to hear from Paul this morning Knowing facts about the scriptures is not what Paul is talking about here. Knowing the scriptures is a vital part of being a Christian and walking with Jesus, but knowing the scriptures is a means to an end, and that end is relationship with Jesus in a transformed life. In his commentary, Peter O'Brien, he says this about Paul's words on new life. Divine activity and human response are carefully balanced in the righteousness and holiness that comes from the truth shows that there are significant 
ethical implications to donning this new person. In other words, the donning of the new person results in a changed person. Do you look more like Jesus from the moment you gave your life to him? How many sermons, how many Bible studies, how many podcasts have you sat through without taking the time to let them affect who you are and affect your inner being? My point here is this new life implies just that, a new life, a new self. Have you seen the change? Have you, if you've been walking with Jesus a year, do you have a year's worth of character growth and improvement to show for it? 10 years, 20 years, 30 years. From that point on to now, you should literally look more like Jesus. I'm speaking to myself here too, because this is all of us, right? We should look more like Jesus since the time we committed to follow him. So the new life, the new self Paul's talking about isn't just for individual change. Paul's intent is that for the new life to affect both the individual and our community at large. When we put on the new self, it affects our church community. Uh, Harold Honer goes on in his commentary to say, the new person is paired with new community. The individual and the corporate body cannot be divorced from one another. Corporate growth is dependent on individual growth. In conclusion then, it seems that the new person in the present verse has its primary emphasis on the individual, but the connotations for the corporate body must not be excluded. Like we talked about earlier, the context Paul has been building must come to mind when we hear this, these words of new life. When Paul exhorts the Corinthian church and us this morning to put on the new self, it's couched within church community experiencing transformation as well. The community experiences transformation as the individuals within it experience transformation. This is, this is not just the scriptures, this is logic. We will not become a transformed community until individuals experience transformation, right? Um, more to this, remember weeks ago, Andrew talked about the context and ethos of gifts, how gifts are couched in community. They're, they're meant to serve the community at large and then the, the community outside of us. They're not just for the individual, right? That's the context Paul is writing. Historian Rodney Stark in his book, The Triumph of Christianity, analyzes the growth of the early church in Rome. In AD 40, the number of Christians in Rome were 1,000. By AD 350, they were 31 million. 53% of the total Roman population in 300 years. How did they do it? They didn't have Bibles, they didn't have budgets, they didn't have buildings. How did they do it? Personal transformation that led to community transformation that led to city cultural transformation, right? That's how they did it. The rise of Christianity brought the Roman Empire to its end. Regular people like you, like me, empowered by the Holy Spirit, experiencing new life through God's love in community, and then answering the call to change the world around them. That's how they did it. The same new life, the same power in the Holy Spirit is on offer for you and I today. It's on offer for our whole community. It will bring renewal and revival 
to this community and then the world outside of it, this city, East Portland. That's the vision here. That's where he's going. So our application today, embrace the new life Jesus offers. The process of becoming new in Jesus is like a river. You are either fighting to move forward, upstream, or you are moving backwards. There is no middle ground if you are delaying taking steps in your faith, delaying taking steps into this community, you are floating downstream. That's just how it works. I think it's just a, a brief cursory like reflection on that. If that describes you this morning, you, you know. I haven't just been like neutral. I've been floating down. Um, now, I want to take some time this morning uh, talking about the context of new life and application uh, I want to talk about marriage and singleness in our community. As I prepared this sermon, um, I felt the Holy Spirit, as I've been praying and preparing, um, continually bring this to my mind um, as an application point. So bear with me. Uh, I think part of it is because I've sensed the need uh, for us to hear these words, but I think another part of it is um, the identity piece that marriage and singleness bring to our lives. And if Paul is asking us to put on new life, that's huge, right? So I want to first talk about marriage to the married people in our community. Are you experiencing new life in your marriage? Most of what I'm about to say to you, I've gotten from Pete Scazzaro's emotionally healthy leadership material. Um, the leadership of the church is going through this, both staff and elder, um, and it's, I just highly recommend it. Uh, it is really good, and I'm drawing from a lot of what Scazzaro says today. In his words, the quality and integrity of your marriage is the most important gospel message you preach. The quality and integrity of your marriage is the most important gospel message you preach. When marriages thrive, when they are displaying the commitment and grace-filled love, as opposed to the feeling-based um, uh, perception-based Hollywood love, our culture calls love, right? When we are doing that, this community will transform. The, the world will look at us and wonder. When passion grows for one another over time, when words of affirmation and speaking life over one, or, one another increase in nuance, clarity, and frequency, the world will look and marvel. A marriage where both people are following Jesus can be one of the most catalytic, empowering, and safe relationships through which Jesus will do incredible work. If we, as Central Bible, don't have strong marriages in our community, we will be unable to move forward into the calling God has for our church. When marriages are thriving here, Central Bible will experience a new level of effectiveness as a church. This all starts with us who are married seeing our marriage as our primary gospel witness. Tied to this, do you see your marriage apart from your calling to follow Jesus as your first calling? It's your number one job. It comes before career. It comes before serving in this church. And here's the kicker. You're going to love this one. It comes before your relationship to your kids. Oof. It comes before your relationship to your kids. There is a hierarchy of priority 
in these relationships. And when that hierarchy, hierarchy is out of balance, if the foundation isn't set, things above it will crumble, okay? The only thing that precedes your priority in your marriage, before your marriage, is your relationship with Jesus. Your marriage is the foundation of health and flourishing for your career, your ministry, and your kids. It's the foundation. So how do we move into new life in our marriages? Um, I have a couple things for us this morning. There's a lot to say here. This is not a sermon specifically about marriage, but I do have a couple things um, based on what Paul is saying that I think will be helpful. The first is this, move with an open heart into community. Move with an open heart into community. Who has the authority to say hard things to you about your marriage? Your marriage relationship cannot move into health in isolation. It is impossible. I want to say it more explicitly. Who have you said to in your community here at church, I give you permission to speak into my life and marriage. I give you permission and trust to tell me where you see blind spots or weaknesses. I commit to implementing those changes where you speak into them. Who have you said that to this morning? Have you given someone that trust? Have you given them the window of intimacy into your life? And I want to say to you, it goes without saying, but if this spiritual authority, and that is what I'm talking about, giving someone spiritual authority over you, if you give this to someone who is a high school buddy who you know on Facebook, it's not going to work. That's why I said that this church community is, is who you need to press into because they need, if they're going to help you, an accurate, accurate picture of who you are and what your marriage is like, right? It, it's not going to work. It's cheating if you, if you go with someone who's not in your community or at least not in your day-to-day life, okay? Um, a second point for you this morning. If your marriage is prioritized right, you will give it the intentionality and time it deserves, If you agree, if you see your marriage as the number one priority after following Jesus, does the time, intentionality, and energy you give to it reflect that? Do you go on date nights? Do you have continued, an ethos of continued learning about marriage? Are you reading books or blogs about how to be a better husband, how to be a better wife, how to have a better marriage? Do you make decisions through the grid of your spouse's limitations and gifts. Do you make decisions based on your spouse's limitations and gifts? There's a lot that I can cover today. Um, I want to I couch marriage in the same way I've couched um, the new life and transformation. If your marriage isn't forging upstream, if you aren't pushing ahead in community, you'll be floating away. It's the same thing. All right. Thanks for bearing with me. I know I'm young. I haven't been very long, but I think this is like really important for us. It's really important, guys. And now the singles. Singles in the room. It's your turn, okay? Now, if you... I'm going to pause for a second, sorry. If you are single in the room, if you are widowed... um, I want to say to you today, on behalf of myself and many others in our community, we are sorry. We repent. 
at many times we have not shown you honor. As a community, we have often not included you. In community cultures, ours and others, through our actions, we have subtly asked that you sit on the sideline, delaying God's calling on your life, silencing your gifts till they can be used in the context of marriage and having a spouse. So often, those who are single in the church are treated as second-class citizens. Oftentimes, it's because we don't have a good theology on singleness. We don't see its beauty, its value, and its need for us as a community. So with that, I'm going to speak some words to you this morning. So speak some words over you this morning if you are single. If you are single in this community, you are not a second-class citizen. You are not a second-class citizen in the kingdom of God, and you are not a second-class citizen in this community. You are needed in this community. If you are single, we need you. You have legitimate gifts, unique talents, and insights and contributions that we want and need. We value. And I want to say to you lastly, you are in good company. If you are single, you are in good company. A few minor historical figures, Paul, Jesus, a few other you know, small figures like that were single. They gave their life right now in their singleness to God completely. Saints throughout history in the scriptures, single, gave their life to God, were used in incredible ways. They weren't delaying, they weren't waiting. They were going right now into the calling God had for them. So, as I said of the married couples, I'll say the same to you in Scazzaro's words. The quality and integrity of your singleness is the most important gospel message you preach. When singles thrive, when you assert yourself, both in your need and your limits, your gifts and your passions to the community around you, when you make the choice on your end not to sit on the sideline, when you choose to give your all to Jesus right now, the world will look at you and marvel. The world will look at you and say, that's different. A person who has integrated their singleness into the call God has on their life, whether their singleness is permanent or whether they are no longer, until they are no longer single, can be one of the most inspiring, centered, impactful dynamics through which Jesus will work. And the same thing, if we don't have strong singles in this community, like our marriages, we will fall short of the calling God has for this community at large. When singles begin to thrive here at Central Bible, we will experience a new level of impact, connectedness to one another and our community at large. So how does someone who is single move into new life in your life and singleness? First is the same as the marrieds, right? As a single person, step into community with an open heart. Step into community with an open heart. Who have you given the authority and trust to speak into your life and singleness? Like a marriage, who knows you in community in a deep and intimate way? My second thing for you this morning, if you see your singleness as a primary gospel witness, and you likewise see it as a primary commitment, then here's what I'd say to you. Commit yourself to great self-care. Commit yourself to great self-care. What do you need to do or not do to be healthy? 
what do you need to have in place to prioritize your relationship with Jesus? For me in my marriage, it's a blessing and a curse. If I'm not reading, if I'm not in the word, um, if I am living a way that's contrary to the life God has called me, it directly affects someone, right? I can't escape it. If you are single, what are the things you have in place to make sure you are following Jesus, to make sure you're walking with him the way he's called you to? Then develop a vision for your life as a single person that steps into God's calling for you right now. Develop a vision for your life where you step into God's calling for you right now. Ask yourself regularly, am I floating downstream or am I forging ahead into the life God has called me to? So I just have a couple more brief points as we close today. As we talk about the new life and what God, ha- what God has for us and what Paul is meaning, join in God's redemptive work in this community and then to our city. Join in God's redemptive work in this community and then to our city. God wants new life for our church as a whole. God has a redemptive vision for your life, for this community, and for East Portland. He has a vision for it. I asked earlier this morning, what will turn the tide? What do faithful Jesus followers do in the midst of decline that often feels hopeless? What will turn things around in the American church? What will turn things around in our church? How do we do it? Here's how. Remember who you are in Jesus. Remember who you are in Jesus and remember that you're not going at it alone. You're not alone. When we fall short of the vision God has for our lives, for our marriages, for our singleness, for our community, remember who you are in Jesus. In the words of Paul in the scriptures, I want to speak some truth over you this morning. You are, in Jesus, beloved children. You are beloved sons and daughters. You stand today without condemnation. You are new creations. You have access to the mind of Jesus, his brain. (laughs) You were once in darkness, now you are in light. And in Jesus, in Christ, in the Holy Spirit, you stand more than conquerors. As more than conquerors. When we begin seeing ourselves in this way, as dearly loved children, beloved by the Father, we begin to strike this balance of seeing God work and joining him in response. You will begin to strike the balance of seeing God work and joining in the work. He wants you to go. He wants you to have a vision of joining him. I know for many of you today, when I talk about marriage, when I talk about singleness, it's hitting on painful spots in your heart. I want to just ask you in the name of Jesus that you open your hearts to be hopeful, to believe and trust that God can bring healing, restoration, and flourishing to your marriage or to your singleness. Believe that God can bring purpose to your life in that. Remember that you're not going at it alone, right? Romans 8, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give your life to your mortal bodies because his spirit lives in you. His spirit is in you. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead 
you have access to. But it, it is reciprocal. You have to press in. You have to ask for it. You have to seek it. That's what I have for you today. Let's pray. Jesus, we love you. God, this is heavy. It's heavy and it's beautiful at the same time. This call you have for our lives. God, as you have pushed me in my heart to, to speak about singleness, about marriage this morning, I pray that people, as they leave today, would not feel condemnation, but feel immense hope. That they would feel that, no, their, their marriage is not beyond saving, that their singleness, their stage in life as a single is not temporary, but it's a call you have on their life to live in a unique way. God, will we begin to see the new <coughs> life you have for us today? Will we begin to see a vision for it, what it could look like for each of us specifically? And will we believe that Central Bible as a community could transform the face of our culture and our city as we know it? If we begin to step into that, if we begin to believe that you can work, a thousand people change the face of an empire. A hundred people in this building can do the same in our city. But Jesus, we lift this up to you. Would you work and would you meet us this morning? In your name we pray, amen. We desire to be formed by the word of God in community. If you have questions about this week's sermon, we would love to hear from you. For more information about our church, please visit centralbible.church.